nobody like you. There's nobody besides you, Jesus. There's no God like our God. There's no God like our God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. He has been all those things to us. He has been our provider in times of need. He has been our deliverer when we've needed that. He's been our salvation day by day by day. I'm so thankful for his presence. I'm thankful to be here in his house. I'm thankful for his faithfulness. I'm thankful for his great love. Amen. Amen. Would you just one more time lift your hands and give him praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You deserve all honor, all glory. All power is yours, Lord Jesus. We exalt your name. Magnify you, Jesus. We magnify you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He is just that good. He is just that good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, praise team, for setting an atmosphere of worship and praise in the house. Thankful to be in the house with all of you. Our young people are going to go to class, but I need you all to listen to me before you grab your stuff. You're going to go to the back door and downstairs for the first time. The youth class is going to be downstairs in the newly renovated rooms. So you're going to go down through the back door, but it's very important that nobody goes outside through the back door downstairs. Okay, that's an emergency use only exit. So please don't go outside to the back this way. When you come back up, come up the same way that you came. Either come up these stairs or the stairs over here. All right. Fair enough? Everybody got the instructions? We love you all. May God bless you in your class today in Jesus' name. Amen. And I know I said, and I wasn't lying, but I said that my, my Seesaw series would only be two lessons, but Pastor was kind enough to give me a third opportunity. So we're going to talk about Seesaws just one more time. I think it's just one more time. I think I'm done. But if you will, humor me and turn to Romans chapter 8. Always good to have a reminder of this anyway, but Romans chapter 8 and verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. We have sacrificed ourselves that no matter what he wants to do with our lives, it's up to him and we are on that altar. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For we are persuaded. I hope you are persuaded. We are persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor that mountaintop, nor depth of that valley, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, that nothing can separate us from your love, that you are faithful, that you are present, that you are real, that you are passionate about your people, that you have purpose for this group of people, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that you would help us to hear from your word today. And I pray that you'd settle this series in my spirit and in the spirit of my friends here. God, that no matter where we go, you are always with us and nothing can separate us from your love. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you one more time. We give you all the glory and all the honor, Lord. Thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. So I've been talking about a seesaw, and I think most of you have been here for the lessons. Um, if not, I'm just going to let you go back and watch the ones that are online, kind of get caught up with what's, uh, what we've been talking about for the most part. But just as a reminder, life is full of ups and downs, and we've been talking about those high places and those low valleys and things that can happen, things those, uh, the, the, the scriptures teach us can happen in the valley or on the mountain. And so we did talk about mountains. We did talk about valleys. And so today I want to talk about what happens in between. Did you know most of life happens in between? Not at the highest highs and not at the lowest depths. Even if you think about a teeter-totter, most of the time that you're on a teeter-totter, you're not at the highest height or the lowest depth. You're somewhere in between. And that's true of life. And it gets interesting because scripture is a series of stories about ups and downs. There's not a whole lot in there about the everyday and the in-between and the normal parts of life. And so I, I got real interested after I, after I studied mountains and valleys. I'm like, well, what about what about the normal plateau that we all live on most of the time. What, what, what does the Bible have to say about that? Because we know that in our simple sort of Christian understanding, mountains are places where good things happen, and valleys are things, places where difficult things happen. And what, what about in the middle? What about in the middle? What about this middle ground or this in-between the everyday, normal Christian life. Now, I could summarize all the things that we talked about, but it's important just to know that some of the people that we talked about in the mountains were Moses and Elijah and Peter, and some of the people we talked about when we talked about valleys were Samson and David, and so I kind of want to pick up their same stories once they get out of the valley or off the mountain. Because there's some substance there. Now, I'm not sure that I really like the middle ground or in between. It kind of feels unremarkable sometimes. Nothing major is happening sometimes. It feels a little dull and a little boring. But I'll tell you a story that has stuck with my family. You know, you know how some stories about kids when they're little stay in the family lore all the way through and they just keep retelling the same stories? Well, one of the stories that happened when I was a child, when I was four or five years old, we had a whole bunch of family that was gathering at my grandparents' house. And uh, some of the cousins kind of got bumped out. We didn't have enough bedrooms for everybody. So some of the cousins were going to stay on the pull-out couch in the living room. 
and uh, I was the youngest grandchild. And so they decided that I would stay in the middle of my two cousins on this pullout couch. Now, guess who was not thrilled about this idea? I know it made sense. They didn't want me to fall off the bed. I was four or five years old. But somebody, probably one of my older cousins, if they're listening, it was you. You know who you were. Somebody had eaten something in the bed, and there were crumbs that had shifted to the middle where I was trying to nestle in and go to sleep. And I'm tossing and I'm turning and I'm crunching and I'm not happy. And my wonderful Uncle Carl came in and set me straight. Now you're going to lay down there and you're going to go to sleep. It was late. Everybody was tired. We'd been outside most of the day, probably against my will. And I, I sat up straight and I, I don't remember the exact words I said, but it was something like, but I don't want to be in the dirty old middle. That phrase has come back to haunt me many times as people in my family say, yeah, you're in the dirty old middle, huh? Yeah, yeah, sometimes we get stuck in the dirty old middle. And it's not really where you want to be. It feels boring and blah. And so I started looking in Scripture, what was the dirty old middle like for some of the folks in Scripture? Because sometimes life is just life. It's not real good. It's not real bad. It's not, it's just, it's unremarkable. And we don't necessarily feel the closeness of the Lord that we do when we're in the valley and we're walking through that dark place and we know that he's protecting us. And we might not see the demonstrations of his power like we do sometimes on the mountain. It's just life. It's just life continues and it feels like you're stuck. feels like you're not really moving. It's just the middle. It's just the path we take to get to the next thing. It's, it's nothing. And I wish sometimes that scripture would tell us the nothing. I wish that Paul would have sat down and said, Dear Ephesians, today I woke up and I stretched and I got a glass of water and I entered a time of devotion and prayer and then I went over to the tent making desk and I made some tents and then I went and I talked to Priscilla and Aquila about the goodness of God for a while. And I wish that sometimes we had a record of what it meant to be an everyday Christian played out in scripture. What, is it, what did it look like for them every day? in the in-between. Because we, we know the big stories, right? We know Paul went to Mars Hill and he's talking to all these philosophers and he's telling them about the God that they didn't know. We know the big stuff. We know that he's in Ephesus and he's fighting the beasts in Ephesus. Spiritual warfare is going on. We, we know the big stuff. But sometimes what I really want to hear about is all these little things that happen and the impact of all those little nothings that become something that is a Christian's daily walk with God. The collective impact of our every day is far greater than one day's diary entry of all the stuff you did that day. It's the collective impact of your commitment to prayer and your commitment to the word and your commitment to faithfully come to the house of God 
It's the collective impact of the things that make your normal Christian life supernaturally empowered. I kind of want to know about that. And so I started looking at Moses. We started with him. And he was quite a guy. Now, there was a time, there was a time, Pastor, that one time I had a job that uh, when I left that job, it took two people to replace me. And I felt pretty good about myself. I did. When Moses decided to delegate his leadership responsibilities, it took 70 people. I mean, he was one bad dude. He could get a lot accomplished. He was empowered by the Spirit of God to do so much. And he was a great man of God. He had this hunger for God. He was powerful. He, he had a walk with God that I still look at and say, I want to say the same thing, Lord. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. It's a prayer that we still often pray. And we know that in his early leadership, he had, he had opportunities to be in the presence of God for extended periods of time. I, I know we talk about 40 days with the Lord, but reality, reality check. He went up and down that mountain eight times that I count in Scripture to meet with God. Twice he spent 40 days with the Lord in the top of the mountain. Once to get the tablets that God had written on. The second time he had to go back so that he could write them down after he threw the tablets. And so he has these intimate moments and, and, and periods of time where he's on the mountain with the Lord. And in the second time that he's up there for 40 days, his, he comes back down and his face is shining from these many encounters that he's had with God. So much so that the Israelites couldn't stand to look at him. I don't know if they couldn't stand to look at him or if they just, they, they were so scared. And he didn't want them to be scared. And so he put a veil over his face. But he was operating under the old covenant. And the, the shine of the glory started to fade over time. And so Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3.13 that we, we, we don't want to operate in a way like Moses who puts a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not continuously or steadfastly look on the end of that which is abolished. He's talking about the law. He, he said Moses hid his face so they couldn't see the fade of the glory. Now, Paul is contextualizing it and saying it was, it was a glory of an old covenant. We don't walk in that covenant. And he continues in verse 17 and 18. He says, the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into his same image from glory to glory. Our glory is not a one-time gig. It is glory to glory to glory. That's the reality of the, the impact of our daily walk because we are filled with his spirit. Moses could go into the spirit of the Lord and the spirit of the Lord would come upon him, but we are filled from the inside out. We were purchased at Calvary. The veil was rent in twain. The glory of the Lord is accessible now and we are now filled with his glory. And so where Moses experienced a fading glory, that he, he obscured the fade. 
he, he wanted to make sure, now I don't know that this was really his motive, but he in fact did hide the visible fade of the glory of God. The glory faded under the old covenant. But in our new covenant, as we are changed from glory to glory, over and over and over again, we are exposed to this resident glory of God. And it should have a life-changing impact in us. It should, from glory to glory, transform us through the renewing of our mind. There should be a daily impact Even in this middle ground, I don't have to go up the mountain anymore to find the glory. I can have a glory experience even right where I am. And I don't have to hide the everyday impact of life. He hid it. Sometimes when I'm not not seeking the presence of the Lord the way that I know I should, And I'm not letting the glory rise and stirring up the gift that God has put in me. I can feel the fade. Life. Life comes along and dampens the light in me. I don't have to hide that when I come to church. This is the place where you should feel free where the Spirit of the Lord is there is liberty to come and present yourself. Say, God, I need a little more. God, I need to stir up this gift. I I need a refreshing of the glory. I I know I'm not shining as brightly as I should be. I I need you. Now, if you were here, if you were here Monday and you were able to to hear the sermon that was preached on Monday night this last week, anybody? A few of us. Brother Josh Carson preached a great message about preaching to your problems and being hell's most hated preacher. Telling your problems who your God is and what he's going to do for you and what that problem's not going to have authority to do in your life. Preaching out loud to the problem. It was powerful. I mean, people were speaking in tongues and he, he, he actually, in the, he's like, wait a second. Don't, don't just speak in tongues. You're going to speak in your known language and start preaching to your problem. And it hurt me when I heard how timidly people were speaking to their problem in this room to begin with. Because we want to wear the veil that hides the fade of the glory. I don't have any problems. There's nothing in my life that needs to be preached to. You all don't need to hear And I started praying, God, let us not be so afraid of each other that we can't give voice to what the preacher is telling us to do. Help us to not be so afraid of each other and each other's opinions that we want the veil to cover the glory that we've lost. That's not the will of God. Now, I'm not saying stand up and declare all your sins. I am saying... We should have liberty in the Holy Ghost and love that covers in the body so that when when something like that is said, hey, stand up and preach to your problem, you're not timid about it. Now, it got better over time. People got louder over time. And I'm thankful for that. 
But I want you to understand, you are loved here. We love you. We, we want you to find the glory that you need in this house from our God. And if it takes you standing up in, the, in, a, in a proper context and preaching to your problem, sin, you're not going to have authority in my family anymore. Trouble, I don't want you around my house anymore. Pornography, you're not welcome in my home anymore. And casting the problems down, preaching to the problem audibly, if that's what we're instructed to do, there shouldn't be any fear in this house. The glory of God is something that we have as this gift, as the Holy Ghost is given to us. We have this residing glory, and he's in us, but sometimes we have to stir it up. Paul told Timothy, and I feel good about this. Paul told Timothy. Timothy was a pretty good, pretty good preacher, pretty good minister, applauded by Paul for many things. And he still said, hey, stir that gift up. Churn it up. Get the glory going. Get the light shining. Do something so that you move forward in the spirit and you have the the impact that you're called to have in your ministry. Stir it up. Let that word and spirit change us daily from glory to glory. And I think thinking about Moses, you know, he, he, he goes through 40 years in the wilderness, which I think you could say the wilderness is a pretty medium kind of place. It's a bunch of sand and rocks. Sometimes you get an oasis. A day in the wilderness was pretty much like the next day and the next day and the next day. It was, it was just an everyday experience. They're walking or they're setting up their tent, or they're taking down their tent, they're setting up the tabernacle, they're settling into one place for a little bit, then they're moving on. I mean, it was a monotonous 40 years existence. And also, every day, six days a week, this miraculous food would visit them. This manna, this food that tasted like wafers made with honey. Now, that sounds delicious. I love baklava. How many of you like baklava? When I think of wafers made with honey, I think of baklava. It's, it's delicious. I, I know Pastor loves it too. I think Brother Mike has told him about a bakery that's, uh, what's the name of the bakery? It's, it's, a, it's basically baklava only, right? It's baklava, European pastries. If you knew the name, we'd give him a plug right now. But I think of the taste of the honey that's in baklava when I think about manna. And now, have any of you ever eaten the same meal for, say, a stretch of a month or a week, even a week at a time? I have by choice, okay? When I, all my kids' stories are coming out tonight. When I was in fourth grade, my mom asked me, what do you want for lunch? What, do you, what food do you want to take for lunch, you know? And I wanted a hard salami sandwich with white bread every day for almost the whole school year. (laughs) And I will still, if I ate bread right now, I would still eat a hard salami sandwich on white bread. It's one of my favorite things. The people of Israel did not have the same appreciation for manna that I have for hard salami on white bread. They got tired of it. 
They became contentious about it. They were discontented with what was being provided for them. Even though this manna tasted like wafers made with honey. I mean, that's, that's kind of an earnest on where they were headed. They were headed to a land flowing with milk and honey. But the everyday drudgery stole their awe for the miraculous. The everyday monotony stole their respect for the fact that God was supernaturally supplying for their needs. The very word manna means, what is it? It it shows the awe that they had at the beginning. What, What is this? And somehow their awe of the miraculous faded over time. So when the power and the presence of God become a daily part, what a blessing, even in this middle space, even in this in-between, not in the, on the mountain and not in the valley, the miraculous presents itself and we get used to it. It's a dangerous place to be when we are in-between seasons and we take the presence of God for granted. Somewhere, Uh, between the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean in North America. I was preaching uh, a deputation service, and uh, it was a great church. They had about 250 people. Um, When we walked in, man, great power of God, presence of the Lord. And we had praise and worship service, and we were maybe a song or two in, and people are filling the altar, and it's, you know, they're crying, and they're weeping with the presence of God, and it was powerful service. And when you travel and you see the various ways that people operate in the Spirit, and and some, some yield beautifully, and some really struggle. Some churches really struggle to yield to a move of God. And so I, I turned to the pastor, and to me, like, this could have been a breakout service. I didn't need to preach. Let's just follow the Holy Ghost, see where he goes. And I turned to him, and I started to say that very thing. And he says, oh, sis, this happens all the time. It's always like this. I feared for him. Because the awe and reverence of a move of God was lost. He's used to it. It's always, man, thank God it's always like that. Thank God for every single day that his presence walks into my living room when I start to pray. And it doesn't have to be a big major event. It doesn't have to be a mountaintop. And I don't have to be going through a valley to appreciate that God has just walked in the room. That he's here with daily strength. That he's here with power. That he's here with healing and restoration of what I need. That he shows up. I don't ever want to lose the awe for the miraculous even in the monotony of the in-between. I don't want to take his visitation for granted. And that was, that was Moses. He was kind of my representative of the one that we talked about on the mountaintop. And so I looked to the ones that we talked about coming out of the valley. And I, I went to David because he's just awesome. I love to talk about David. And David, as he's 
coming out of the valley of Elah, after he kills the giant Goliath, he has walked into favor with Saul. He's walked into favor with Jonathan. Jonathan has taken off his vestments and he's put them on David and he's recognized, okay, David, you're the man. You're the one. I know that I am not the heir apparent. Now it's you. I mean, that's what he's communicating. And the people start singing, Saul has killed his thousands and David is ten thousands. And the next passage in 1 Samuel 18, 14 through 16 tells us, And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David. Because he went out and came in before them. David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. This was his everyday response. When he got back into the middle ground and out of the valley and in this in-between space, he made deliberate uh, decisions to behave wisely. And he set an atmosphere around him that entertained the presence of the Lord. The Bible says the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. That kind of response, I mean, he could have been elevated in his ego very quickly with what was going on. People are literally cheering him in the streets. And instead of inflating his own self-perception, he behaved himself wisely in all his ways. Now, I know that we have people here who have prayed for wisdom. Wisdom to make decisions. Wisdom to know what doors to walk through. And I've done it myself. I've prayed, God, give me insight. Give me wisdom. But I don't know that I've ever prayed, God, give me wisdom in all my ways. To behave myself wisely in all of my ways. So that no matter what situation I'm in, no matter what the problem is, no matter how mundane or normal or in between my life is, I'm not wasting it. I'm behaving myself wisely in all of my ways. And for those of us who are familiar with James chapter 1, you've probably taken this in context. When, when James says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Now, I know in context this is talking about a, a way out of temptation. It's talking about how to escape temptation. If you need a way out, pray and ask God for wisdom. He'll show you the way out. But in principle, God wants you to behave yourself wisely in all of your ways. And I don't think it's out of character or out of context to ask him, God, give me wisdom in all of my ways. Let my words be wise. Let my thoughts be wise. Let the, the meditation of my heart be wise before you. Let it start on the inside and come out in everything that I say and do. Let me be wise in my finances. Oh, I heard it, Lord. I heard it. Let me be wise in my planning for my life. 
Let me be wise and take a wise approach to my relationships that I build with others. Let me be wise in when I schedule things and when I don't schedule things, that I schedule rest into my life. All the things we know to do. But man, if somebody looked at my, if my ways could be laid out in a planner and someone really looked them over, there might be some unwise things in there that I need, I need to change because I want to be wise in all of my ways. As the Lord reveals wisdom, it should be my joy to obey that because he's given me the plan. He's given me the insight. I want to be wise in all of my ways. Look, the, the, the whole scripture, all of scripture is given to us to teach us how to live every day of our lives. Whether you find yourself on a mountain or in a valley or in a wilderness season or just in the ordinary every day, nothing's really happening and yet everything is being built on your nothing every days. Faithfulness is built in the unremarkable days, and you still show up to prayer. You're not desperate because you're in a valley, and you're not just praising God because you're on a mountain. You're showing up every day, every day with God, for God, in God. No matter where we find ourselves on the seesaw, I'm, I'm trying to do what I know to do and do what the Word is telling me to do. So some of us have experienced this last week an awesome mountaintop moment at NAYC. The move of God was amazing. And I wasn't there personally, but just the little video clips sent me to my face. <laughs> sent me to prayer. Powerful, powerful experiences. And it can be confusing sometimes because then you come back to a context of a typical church. And a lot of us are in that middle ground of in-between. And our mountain toppers are like, come on, get with it! Get on up here and jump with us! And the Lord deserves it. But the mountain is not more important than your faithfulness every single day. My, my, my mountaintop experience is not more important than my everyday moments, because that's what's building my character, and that's what's building my faith, and that's what's showing my faithfulness. That's where I find relationship with him. It's not a bad thing to come back to the everyday if the everyday is full of glory. If I'm stirring up the gift and I'm operating in the glory of God, I want to stay in his presence and keep it active in my life. I don't want to, to hide my face away because the glory is starting to depart. I want to present myself to God with an open face that I can grow from glory to glory, and that he will move us from glory to glory. I want to value, if the musicians would come, I want to value the daily miracles. I haven't testified about this yet, but it seems like a good time. The Lord has blessed me significantly this year, 
Um, I don't know. I, I haven't I haven't made this public, and I'm going to be a little cautious about how I do it. But when I when I came home from Quebec, I took a job that was paying me far less than what I was making prior to leaving the country. And it was okay. It was what I needed for the moment. And the Lord always met my needs. My bills were always paid. And I'm thankful for people in this congregation who blessed me financially to make sure my bills were always paid. And I'm thankful for that. But just this year, in March, I received an unexpected four and a quarter percent raise. In May, I received a merit raise of six and a quarter percent. Three weeks ago, my whole job was went under a compensation review, and I received two pay grades bump up from where I was. I was at a six, and now I'm at an eight, and it is life-changing. And I'm now, for the first time, making more than I did before I moved out of the country. And I'm very thankful for that. Thank you, Jesus. And I say that because that might not seem, I mean, I, it's, it's a big deal to me. <laughs> and it's, it's a daily miracle in the sense that my needs are better provided for. They, they were always provided, and I have no complaints about what the Lord chose to do in my life. But I actually have breathing room, <laughs> and I'm thankful for the daily miracles that God continues to do thankful for that. I don't want to become immune to the visitation of his presence or the hand of his provision. I don't want to just uh, be entitled, become an, have an entitled mentality. God's just going to show up because that's what he always does. If that's what he always does, give him glory. He doesn't have to, and I'm so thankful that he's here. I'm so thankful that he's here. Let's all stand. I, I want to try to live in such a way that I behave myself wisely in all my ways. And yeah, that'll be a journey, and that's something that God's going to have to help me with learning how to do. But I desire it. I desire to live wisely in all of my ways. And if you want to know more about what that biblically looks like, Read through, if you haven't recently, read through the Sermon on the Mount where God contrasts kingdom living with the culture. He sets out, uh, Jesus in, in Matthew 5, chapter 5 through chapter 7, he sets out kingdom expectations and kingdom mentalities that are very different than how the world approaches life. You want to know what daily, everyday Christian living looks like? Read the epistles where we're given godly instruction how to build our families and build our homes and give our lives to the Lord and present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. Take a look at the book of Acts, cover to cover. How did the apostles live? They continued daily in prayers and daily in the apostolic doctrine and in fellowship and breaking of bread. They continued in these things every day, every day, every day. And we do ourselves a great wrong if we believe that daily commitments are not just as impactful as the service on Sunday. They are just as impactful 
if not more so, to your regular walk with God, your relationship, my relationship with him. I'm going to end this a little differently. I know I've ended with Romans 8 again with the other pieces of this series, but I'm going to turn us to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, Jesus is getting ready to ascend, and he tells the disciples to go. Go forth. Go in ministry. And he says in in verse 20, Go teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. On the mountain, I am with you. In the valley, I am with you. In the wilderness, I am with you. In the mundane, ordinary, every day, I am with you. So go and teach. Go and share. Go and work. Go and live this Christian life in a way that impacts everybody around you. Go and build relationships with people so that you can share the gospel with them in a way that's meaningful to them. Because you live this faithful, everyday, ordinary, in-between life. Go and serve. Wherever you are, wherever you go, I am with you always. If you're thankful for that, would you just lift your hands? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your promise to be with us. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. Thank you, Jesus, that you are here with us today. Thank you that nobody in this room is forgotten, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you are mindful of your people. Thank you that you are seeing us no matter where we are, God, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter where we are in our relationship with you, Jesus. You see us. You know us. You love us. You want what's best for us. You are a faithful father. You are a faithful father. And you are carrying us, Lord Jesus. There's nothing that can separate us from your love. I'm so thankful, Jesus. I'm so thankful, Jesus. I'm so thankful, Jesus. You are with us always. Always, always.